comes to hearing the voice of God, just like a radio, you need to put yourself in a position to tune in to his voice. And so just like I see myself as a sheep and I see myself as a friend, now I, I see myself as a receiver that's tuning in. So here's the picture that describes our challenge, all right? We can look at, at, at incredible electromagnetic waves that are all around us. Right? Check, check this out. These waves are everywhere around us, whether it's Wi-Fi or if it's, it's, it's radio waves. We have these frequencies that are all around us, and most of us tend to be completely oblivious to them. We just kind of go on about our day, and there's all these wavelengths surrounding us right here, right now. Some of you are trying to get on the One Chapel Wi-Fi, and it's impossible. You're so frustrated. I'm so sorry. It's just, <laughs> but it's, it's all around us right now. And, and we become oblivious to it. I think that's, in a way, that's how God's voice is. He's speaking on a frequency. I, my opinion is he's speaking on a bunch of frequencies. And we're going to unpack that. But it's only when we tune into them, these frequencies, that we begin to be aware that they're even there. That's what radios do. Here's a radio for all of you who are under 30. All you millennials, this w is what has been historically known as a radio. And so radios, they tune in, the trans the, the, they tune into a transmitter and to a radio station. And I want you to think about, you see, the kingdom of God is like a radio station. Right? The kingdom of God is like a radio station. Now think about think about the station. Is the station at your house? When you tune in on, the, on your radio, is the station inside your house? No. It's, it's from somewhere else. It's a long ways away, but it's broadcasting everywhere. The problem happens if there's no receiver. It's being broadcast everywhere. It's just there's, there's no receiver. Even if there is a receiver, if it's not plugged in, right, you've got to plug these babies in. There's got to be, you've got to be plugged into the power and if you're not plugged into power, you can't, you can't be tuned in. If it's not plugged in, if it's not turned on, and then if it's not turned up, you still can't hear it. But he created all of us, you and me, to be receivers of his presence, of his voice, of his grace. He wants us to tune in and hear what he's saying. So the only question really is, are you tuned in to the right frequency? That's your first fill in the blank in your message notes. Are you turned into the right frequency? In other words, are you putting yourself into a position where you can hear and respond to the voice of God? This reminds me of, you know, rabbit ears, right, for your TV. You've got to put yourself in position. You can, you're trying to put yourself in a place, and sometimes you've got to move the radio around. Sometimes you've got to turn the dial. You've got you to dial it right in. But I think this is such a big deal for every one of us because hearing God's voice may be the difference between life and death. Maybe the difference between flourishing and languishing as a, as, a, as a human, as a person. It may be the difference between open doors and closed doors. That's why God's voice is so important. Hearing God's voice is definitely the difference between living on your own and living with the Spirit of God speaking to you. Because make no mistake, you were called to more than just a natural life. You were called to a supernatural life. That's the life God's called you to, and this is a supernatural process. So when we, when we are tuning in to God's voice, of course, the first question, how do we, how do we hear it? How, how do we do this? We start realizing there's so many frequencies that we, have to, that we have to deal with, so many stations on this radio 
that, that we tend to find ourselves tuning into all kinds of voices. How do we know which ones are God's voices? How do we know which ones are not? There's many voices that I think tend to sound similar to God's. You can think your own voice, your family voices that speak into your life. Uh, your, there's political voices everywhere. Endless political voices. Stop the madness. Don't let your first filter for your life be political. You will be miserable. Listen, it's, it's not political voices, not emotional voices, not economic voices. These are all voices that are speaking into our lives. Cultural voices, voices of fear many times, voices of success, voices of familiarity. I think there's a, there, this is one of those things that in American culture is really hard for us because the voice that screams loudest from most places is the voice of success. What is success? What is not success? That, that we worship as a culture in America at the altar of success, at the altar of celebrity or the altar of fame, the altar of, you know, things being big and huge and amazing and incredible and everything. And, and, and everything in your life is kind of geared. Everything that you hear is kind of geared toward. You got to be awesome. You got to go big or go home. You got you to climb that ladder. You got to make it happen. Right, when in reality, that's, that's not God's voice at all. He's the one who makes things happen. Your job is simply to listen and obey. Oh, what are you saying, Ross? I don't, I don't, have, to, I don't have to work hard? No, you've got to work hard. That's actually in the Bible. The Bible actually says if you don't work, you don't eat. <laughs> so you've got to work. But it's, it's, it's interesting how everything changes, everything shifts in the voice that you're hearing when you realize that the voice of success is not always the voice of God. It's really hard for Christians, I think, sometimes in American culture because there's a sense at which you hear it a lot where um, if, if you have money and you have success, that God is somehow blessing you. That that's the, that's the real mark of blessing. Actually, nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, sometimes great success and great wealth causes people to crash horribly in their lives. It's not, it's not always a sign of God's blessing. If you look through the scriptures, you will see God, he, he, he is near to the brokenhearted, Psalm says. He is, he is near to those who are poor. And, and Jesus himself said, if you're poor in spirit, if you understand how poor you are spiritually, then you'll start to get the kingdom of God. And so there's something, we have to really tune ourselves in and be careful that we're not sucked into voices that we get hung up on because, because, because we, we think this is what God's plan. And I, I think for most of us, the, the most challenging voice is our happiness. And we project our happiness onto God's voice. This is what God wants for me. This is what I want for myself. This is what God wants for me. I, I, I think we have to really be careful about that kind of thing. When we get hung up on that, it's not good. So how do we hear clearly? How do we tune in? How do we confirm what, that we're even on the right frequency? You see, it's absolutely imperative that you and I understand that God will confirm his words to you. Everybody say confirm. confirm. He will confirm his word to you. He, and, and God even wants you and I to seek confirmation of his word to us. Whatever you think is the voice of God, he wants you to seek confirmation. Mark 16, 20 says, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming 
the word through the accompanying signs. 2 Corinthians 13.1 says, By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. This is an idea whenever there was some kind of disagreement. This is an Old Testament idea that also we see in the New Testament that in the, in the midst of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. That's how they settled disagreements. But I want you to, I want to draw your attention to shall be established. I want you to underline that word. If you're taking notes, underline shall be established. Because in the original language in the Greek, it means to make to stand, to make to be firm. To make to be firm. Which is where we get the word confirm. That's your fill in the blank there. Con it's where we get the word confirm. And there are three, I believe, confirmations that the Bible gives us that we're to seek and that works for every person in every situation. And actually, there are more. We're going to talk in the next few weeks about how to tune in even better. But I'm going to give you three big ways that we tune in and confirm that God is speaking to us. So here it is. Number one, does it line up with the Bible? Is what you heard lining up with the scripture? Listen, God's voice will never disagree with God's word. His voice will never disagree with the scripture. So I think this is a fascinating little message here. Um, in Psalm 138, verse 2, it says, For you have magnified your word above all your name. You have magnified your word. One translation says, you have, you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Right? But regardless of how it works here, I want you to see that his word and his name work together. The scriptures declare that Jesus has a name that is above every name, right? But there's something that God exalts at least equal with his name. And, and what this verse potentially says as we read it is, is the implication is his word is above his name. Now, what would that, why would that be? God places this tremendous emphasis on his word because he is interested in us making sure that we obey him. And so he wants to speak to us. There's a lot of people running around saying that God told them this, told them that, told them this. Thing. And, and, and if God tells them to do that, that's great. But if it directly contradicts or violates what is written in the word, it's not his voice. And so this verse is so fascinating Think about what it might mean for God's word to be even above his name. Because what does it mean to have your reputation ruined? How do you get your reputation ruined? Well, if you, if you do what you say you'll do, then you're, you've, if you value your word, then your reputation stays intact. Your name will come to mean something reliable, faithful. Your name will be good. If you don't follow through on your word, if you don't value your word, if you, if, you are, if you say things and you don't follow through, then your name becomes no good. Your reputation is ruined. The very mention of your name will bring a scowl and a, and a frown. People will, will, will hear your name and think, oh, that guy, what a goofball. He never follows through. Your reputation is ruined. Your name is ruined because your word is no good. This is how God is. 
He wants his word to mean so much to us because his reputation is so important in the world. The Bible teaches us that God values and esteems his word even more than he values and esteems his name. And so that's why God places this emphasis on his word. So one of the mistakes that a lot of people tend to make is that they try to find a way in scripture to justify the decision they want to make. Have you ever felt like you, you kind of wanted to do this? You're like, I, I think I want to do this. I'm going to look up a scripture for it. <laughs> so listen, that is not valuing God's word. When you start with what you want to do and then try to get God to come in behind it, it's the truth of scripture. If it's the truth of scripture, God will say it over and over and over again, and it'll be obvious. It's a consistent message in the Bible. You can't take the scripture and take little pieces of it and take it out of context. You can't take a little piece of scripture and say, oh, this is it. This is what I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to claim this and I'm, you got to take the whole counsel of God, the whole scripture. you got to take the story. You have to take the narrative. You have to read the context. You have to see what God's purpose and plan is. Uh, listen, I believe God wants to bless you immeasurably, more than you can ask or even think. The problem is how you define what blessing is. You and I have to listen to the voice of God and we have to read the scriptures. People talk about a lot of wacky things. Did you know you could take the scriptures and you can prove that there were motorcycles in the Old Testament? You can prove that there are motorcycles in the Old Testament. Joshua 6.27 says that Joshua's triumph was heard throughout the land. <laughs> For those of you who are not in the know, Triumph is a motorcycle name. There's also cars. The disciples were all in one accord. <laughs> Some of you are like, these are bad Bible jokes. <laughs> I, I, I think you could prove that Moses played tennis. Hebrews 11:24 says that Moses refused to serve in the courts of Pharaoh. <laughs> Maybe that proves he didn't play tennis. I don't know. Um, but here, here's the thing. You can't just pick. You can't just... Pick and choose these things. You have to see the scripture as a whole, and you have to understand that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit work together to confirm their word. 1 John 5, 7 says, For there are, there, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one, which means the Holy Spirit will never, ever lead you to anything that disagrees with or violates the Word of God or violates the principles in the scripture. The Holy Spirit and the Word of God are in perfect harmony at all times. If you say that the Holy Spirit told you to do something and it violates the Scripture, then you're wrong. And we have to, we have to embrace that idea. Several years ago, I, I, and I've had this happen to me actually in multiple ways. I'll just kind of define one way that it happened to me where a woman came down front to be prayed for and I asked her what do you want me to pray with you about and and she said God has spoken to her about who to marry and so I said well who's 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 the lucky guy and she told me this guy's name and I was like come again what what what's his name I'll call him Jim his name's Jim you mean Jim that's married to Joanne and she said yeah that's the guy that's why I need prayer because I believe God told me that I'm supposed to marry Jim. Their marriage has been over a long time. 
I, I know, I, I know it's, it's, it's only a matter of time. The divorce is, is coming. And so we're, I'm, I'm going to marry him. So here, now, now for some of you, you're like, oh, that doesn't seem so bad. At least she's praying about it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but here's what I, I, wanted, I want you to understand something here. And, and this kind of thing has happened even in our own short history where, where people find their way and they make, they make their way to justify the sinfulness of their own heart or the happiness of their own heart and, and then they violate the scriptures. This woman did not hear from God to break up this man's marriage and to marry her, marry him. Uh, now listen, I understand we got a lot of damage going on in our culture with families. We got a lot of divorces. I understand it is not my intention to create guilt or any shame. But listen, people, marriage is sacred. And, and, we have to, and we have to see what the scripture says. It's also true that God deals with our past and our history with such great grace and mercy. None of us deserve it. And so, so we have to hold both intention, you see. We have to, we have to realize that, that what God is doing is he's healing people and he's restoring them. But we have to also hold that, that, that marriage is something sacred that should not be discarded and treated as, as something that is not important. And so we have, to, we have to really understand what the Holy Spirit is saying to us, and we have to measure it by the word. Because remember, there's a lot of voices. There's God's voice, but there's your own voice. There's the culture's voice. There's the devil's voice. There's the voice of your leftover pizza. It's all there. It's all there. So that's why we need to submit every voice that we hear to the word of God. We need to allow the scriptures, the scriptures to shape our actions and our beliefs. And we need to allow the scriptures to confirm and to reject what we think we've heard from God. Whether it's actually God. We, we, we have to, this means we have to let go. Okay, because here's the problem. We get fixated on something. We get focused in on a job, on a career, on a person, on, a, on something that we think God's spoken to us, and then we get incredibly disappointed when it doesn't happen, or we make it happen against God's desires. We got to let go of our preconceived ideas. Uh, we got to let go of our preferences. We got to let go of our cultural norms. We've got to let go of the traditions of men. This is what Jesus said in Mark 7, 6 through 13. Here's what he said to all of these um, Pharisees and religious leaders. He said, Jesus replied, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands of God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. And then he said, you skillfully, this is the phrase I want you to see, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. You skillfully sidestep what God has already said to hold on to something that you love. We can't think of any religious tradition, no experience, no preference can be higher than the than words of God. 
all of us can become bound by tradition. All of us can be overwhelmed by our own experiences from time to time. And this is really what happens when we become really disappointed and we become disillusioned with what we thought was God's voice. I want to give you some solutions to that. All right? It doesn't matter what church background you've, you've come from. It's God's words we have to follow instead of our traditions and experiences. When it comes to hearing God's voice, that's the first place we're running is for confirmation. We're tuning in to the scriptures. Listen, hey, 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 this is why we're reading the Bible this year. We have an initiative in our church, Read Scripture 2017. You can go to onechapel.com and you can click on it. You can join us. This, this reading plan is fantastic. It's sponsored by the Bible Projects. There's a lot of, lot of um, videos that have been created to tell the big story of God through the Scriptures that help you understand each book of the Bible. Really good. Why are we doing this? Why am I encouraging you to read the Bible and pray Daily. Why do I encourage you to do that? It's not out of religious duty. It's not out of obligation. It's not out of tradition. It's out of something else. We read the Bible and pray daily because it is the best way to get used to what his voice sounds like. It's the best way to get used to what his voice actually sounds like. You get that scripture in you. Biblical literacy is at an all-time low in our culture. People don't know what the Bible says. A bunch of you are sitting here and you're kind of led around by your emotions, led around by what you think will make you happy, led around by things. Listen, Jesus has a better plan. He has a better purpose than you for your life. And it's more than you could even imagine. If you'll dive into the scriptures and see what it is, you'll, you'll begin to discover life that comes from him, have a voice that leads your life, that directs your affairs, that leads you to a, a wonderful, amazing relationship with him. Number two, here we go. Does God, uh, the question, next second question that we have to ask for confirmation to tune me into God's voice is, does godly counsel agree? Does godly counsel agree? Now, notice I didn't say goodly counsel. I said godly counsel. Because too often what so many people do is they go from person to person to person trying to find someone who will agree with what they want to do. That's not godly counsel. Here's what godly counsel is. It's someone who knows God, in other words, has a relationship with God, has an obvious, vibrant relationship with God. God's counsel, godly counsel is someone who knows God's word, who has become familiar with the scriptures, who can call on them, who can, who can identify them and help you figure it out in God's word. And number three, godly counsel is someone who knows you, has a faithful relationship with you over some period of time, over, over some um, trustworthy time period, right? They, they kind of have enough knowledge about you. And, and, and listen, it is so important for you to understand that this, this is significant because it's not just, it's not godly counsel from the pastor that's really going to make a difference. You know what it is? It's the godly counsel of the community of believers together. You ca there cannot be a line outside the pastor's door for godly counsel, and that's the only way place you can get it. 
That is not the only place you can get it. You can get it from your small group. You can get it from leaders, other leaders within the church. You can get it from good friends who know you, who are walking with you on this journey. And if you don't know what the scripture says, then you can can dig in, dive in together and figure it out. Look it up. This is what we're doing here as one chapel is we have to be a community that will challenge one another, that will help each other, that will walk side by side. Now, over and over again, here's the problem. I kind of hear this idea in our church when people are sharing something they're wrestling with with each other. I kind of hear it through the back channels. I hear rumors, you know, uh, so-and-so said this. And when, when people are struggling with how, how to deal with their marriage or whether or not to leave their marriage, when they're wrestling with whether to stop sleeping with their boyfriend or girlfriend, when they're talking about some of these things, um, whether to repair a relationship w- within the church that's been damaged because somebody disappointed you there's this discussion that goes on in this wrestling match right are you guys tracking with me you guys are looking at me like that you've never had those discussions before (laughs) no you all have those discussions in one way or another about what to do what's the right thing to do and I hear this phrase more often than I want to I know it's in our culture but here it is well I really can't tell you what the right thing is You have to discover that for yourself. People, this is why you belong to a community. This is because you don't always know yourself. In fact, your heart can lead you astray so easily. And, and I know we, we think we put this, we project this picture of happiness. I'm just chasing my own happiness. I'm guaranteed it in the Constitution, you know. I can pursue happiness. And, and somehow we think these things, these violations of God's words, will produce happiness. They never will. They always end in heartache. It is ridiculous for you to be in a small group with somebody and say, well, you know, I know what the Bible says, but only you can answer for yourself what the right thing to do. No, that's not true. We know what the right thing is. It's right here in the scripture. You can, you can read it together, and then you can challenge each other. We have to do it lovingly. We have to do it mercifully. But we have to do it, people. You can't, you, you can't just kind of let them go because this is how it works. This is how it works. When somebody's wrestling with something that they know is sort of a, a sinful thing, what they do is they just keep backing away, backing away from anybody else who's going to give them input, and you've got to go after them. Because what what's happening is they're being sucked in. They're being sucked into what they think will make them happy, and it's a lie. It's an illusion. We, ha- we have to be the kind of community that will, that will initiate this kind of engagement with each other. Godly counsel. What I, what I want to say to you, one chapel, is grow a backbone. Right. Speak the truth in love to each other. Don't let it go by. Don't let people just back away. Go get them. Help them. Walk with them. Love them but speak into their lives. I can tell you that most of the time people come to counsel for me, from me, that they they don't really want godly counsel. What they want is they're coming for approval. (laughs) They're they're coming to see if I'll approve of what they're doing or, or, or approval for them. So let me just coach you a little bit. If you truly want godly counsel, if you are looking for godly counsel, then, then you can't be looking for just approval. You must be willing to lay down what you think is right. 
If you're going to listen to godly counsel, you have to hold it loosely. If you're going to listen to somebody, then you have to lay down your preconceived ideas and opinions. You have to lay down what you think you heard the Holy Spirit speak to you. It, it, you have to hold it like with really careful, gentle hands. You can't hang on to it like this. You'll choke it. You'll choke what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you. You hold it openly. I, I, used, to, I used to lead worship a lot more than I do now. I was a worship leader at a, at a church for several years, and I, I used to be able to teach in conferences and teach worship teams and teach songwriting, and I, I was in a class one time with a guy named Don Moen. He's a, just a beautiful man, led worship for many years and, and taught a lot of songwriting classes uh, in conferences around the nation, and I remember hearing him say this. He's like, people come up to me with these songs, and they say, God gave me this song, but they won't let anybody help them make it a better song. He's like, There's, God gave me this song. And he's like, yeah, God gave it to you because he was throwing it away. It's bad. <laughs> he was throwing it away and you caught it and he was getting rid of it. <laughs> this, this is... <laughs> Now, I want you to be more loving when you say it to people, but I, but, I did, but, I, but I do think that this is part of the thing, is you've got to hold it loosely and let people speak into what God is saying to you. This is what godly counsel is. And what you, when they speak to you and they challenge you, please don't take it as personal rejection. Please, please don't be so thin-skinned that you aren't able to have a real dialogue about what you think think God's doing with your life. If they go against it, go against what you're saying or what you'd like them to say, don't treat it as personal rejection. It's not personal. It's just wrong. <laughs> it may just be the wrong idea. It may be the wrong direction. It's not personal. It's just the idea. All right? So do you want godly counsel or do you want just approval? You've got to decide that. The best way to prove you've heard from God when you get some pushback or when you get challenged is not to get mad and walk away. But to stay steady and keep bearing fruit. Keep listening. Keep walking. Respond with humility instead of pride. Respond with openness instead of being closed to God's voice through the people who you trust. Listen, here's the truth. Right? Listen to me. We can all be wrong. We all get it wrong. I've gotten it wrong. You've gotten it wrong. We've all thought, oh, God's doing this. And then it turns out it's like way over here. No, God was doing this. Like, like, and, and sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll be on a kind of a wild goose chase. And, and what I want to encourage you is God is in the wild goose chase. Right? He's in there. He's working. He's trying to lead you and guide you. And you feel like you have no idea. And sometimes he'll lead you even, listen to this, sometimes, I know it's hard to believe, it's shocking, he'll even lead you through a wilderness. Don't get um, stiff-necked, bullheaded. Don't get resistant like the people of God did in the Old Testament when they went through the wilderness. Stay open, stay humble, stay listening, be willing to, to speak to godly counsel and let them speak into your life so that uh, what we learn is that, is that God is speaking to us not just on, on, in one way but in several ways. Proverbs 19, 20 through 21 says, listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. All you young people, listen to me. 
If you'll listen to counsel and receive instruction and not think you know it all, then you will become wise the older you get. I'm telling you. You will. It'll, it's automatic. It just happens. Here, I, listen to me. I always couch myself as the student. I don't ever want to be the expert. Because you know what I want to be? I want to be a lifelong learner. I want to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to me. And, and because I'm flawed, I know I'm flawed, I want to be open and I want to listen. All right? So the question you need to be able to answer is, is it wise counsel or is it stupid counsel? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just describe a story for you with a man named Rehoboam. Rehoboam was Solomon's son. Solomon, you know, Solomon who built the temple, who was the wisest man Wisest man in the world, right? He built the temple. Rehoboam was his son. And when he took over, Solomon died. He took over the nation of Israel. And he wasn't sure exactly how to lead this nation forward. So he had some people come to him and say, you need to, you need to go easy on the people. These people have been working hard for a lot of years. These people have been really working hard to build the temple. In fact, do you know how Solomon built the temple? You know how he did it? Taxes. <laughs> it was hard. He put a harsh tax on people, and, he, and people worked to build that temple. It was God's idea. It was wonderful, but there came a time when it was done. It was over. And so, he, so, so these people come and say, don't keep being harsh with the people. And Rehoboam, you know what he did? He called in his buddies, his friends. And he said, what do you think I should do? I got, I got these guys saying I should be easy. I should, I should be easy on the people. I, I, should, I should be kind to them because then they will serve me all of my life as a king. What do you think? And they all said, no way. And there's this whole phrase in here. I'll just read it to you. He says, he says, uh, the young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make your yoke lighter. Now tell them my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I'll make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I'll scourge you with scorpions. What? So Solomon's dad's, sorry, Rehoboam's dad's friends, Solomon's friends, elders, they said, look, if you'll just be kind, these people will follow you anywhere. All his buddies said, no, you need to prove your power. One was stupid advice. One was wise. I think we have to work through this. As a result of this, the nation of Israel broke in two. There was a civil war. The northern kingdom was Israel. The southern kingdom was Judah. And they lost the nation forever. It never came back together. There's a big thing going on here, and we need to listen to godly counsel. Number three, does peace reign in your heart? Does peace reign in your heart? This is huge because God created you to have a peace gauge in your heart that he will use to leave you, lead you. Look at Colossians 3.15 says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. <laughs> let the peace of God rule. The peace of God rules. It totally rules. I want you to underline that word rule. If you're taking notes, underline it. It means in the original language to act like an umpire. Let the peace of God umpire your heart is what this is saying. 
In other words, let God's peace tell you whether this is safe for you to keep going or whether you should get out of the situation. There's a peace that God has in your life and my life that he wants to deposit that helps us guide. It's a gauge about what God is wanting us to do. And sometimes we'll be like stressed out. How many, of you, how many times have you not had peace? You're trying to make a decision. It keeps you up all night. Have you ever been there? I've been there. Up all night trying to figure it out. It's because you're going somewhere and you don't have peace. So you've got to find God's peace. God will never lead you through fear. He'll always lead you through faith. He'll never lead you by, by you being afraid. He'll always lead you through faith that he wants to drop in your heart. Philippians 4, 7 says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, wait, but in the things you really care about, in just the one thing that's important in your life, maybe just in a few things that are like spiritual. No, he says, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now look at that word understanding. Circle it. Underline it. It means logical reasoning. That word understanding means logical reasoning. And that word guard, you know what it means? Guard means, in the original language, it actually means a garrison of soldiers. A garrison of soldiers. So Philippians 4, 7 could read this way. It's the peace of God which surpasses all of our logical reasonings that God will use and he'll send a garrison of soldiers to guard over your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Now listen to me. It's so important you understand this. Because this, this third one's tricky. Because this type of peace does not mean an absence of conflict. It does not mean an absence of, of questions. It doesn't, it doesn't just mean an absence of questions. It doesn't mean an absence of struggle. It doesn't mean an absence of anxiety. It doesn't, it doesn't mean just an absence of even sadness or grief. Sometimes you're going through grief. But it is a peace that only God can give. It is a peace that only God can give. And I, I think just because we have some angst doesn't mean there can't also abide peace. Or even if we're just in a conflict, God can give us peace. I want you to see something in Matthew 26, 36 through 46. This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Look what, it, look what it says. It says, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and began to be sorrowful and troubled. He was sorrowful and troubled. Why was he sorrowful and troubled? Do you know why? Because he was about to go to the cross. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed in sorrow, with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. I think it's so interesting that Jesus wanted his friends to be there with him. He wanted them to help him. He was looking to them for help. Verse 39 says, going a little farther, he fell to his face, with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he returned to his disciples and found them 
sleeping. He says, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh, it's weak. And he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he found them again sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Matthew records three times he does this. He's crying out to God. He's saying, is there any other way? Luke records that he had such angst. He he was sweating like great drops of blood. He was overcome. And then he turned to his disciples. Look at verse 45. He says, then he turned to his disciples, returned to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. I'm convinced that in this moment of angst, Jesus had a peace that led him to stand up and say, all right, it's time. Let's go. We're going to the cross. Here comes my betrayer. Come on, let's go. He had peace about moving forward. Did he want to go to the cross? No, but God gave him a peace to obey. I want to challenge you that sometimes we can do the wrong thing and we experience instant relief. I've seen it over and over again in marriage counseling. People have been at each other's throats for a long time. It's just, it seems like there is no way to get out of it. And as soon as they decide to divorce, it's like, oh, such relief. And then they interpret that as God's happy with this. That's not how it is. That's not how it works. Relief is not peace. Peace is something else. Peace is supernatural. Peace is something that comes, that God, only God can give you. And God wants us to look for this kind of confirmation. Listen, I remember when I was coming to Austin, I, I, I was moving here and I couldn't decide if it was the right thing. I was so stressed out. I, 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 I was asking all my friends, like up and down the authority chain, those in authority over me and those underneath me, I was like, I, I'd have conversations, we'd be having coffee. I'm like, am I crazy? Is this dumb? Is this crazy for me to do this, to go to this city and plant a church where I don't know any people? To start something over at this stage of my life? I mean, I had a cushy job. 19 years. I had a career. I had a a platform from which to speak and to invest in the kingdom of God. It was awesome. There was something. my My two oldest boys were teenagers. The last thing I wanted to do was move them to a new school at that age in their life where I knew it would be problematic for them. It would be a struggle. Listen, we invited our kids into the, into the prayer time. We invited our kids to hear from God. And thankfully, God spoke to both of my oldest boys, 15 and 13, through, uh, through ways that they could have never manufactured. And he spoke to them that this was going to be okay, that this was a good thing for them. God spoke into their lives so that when they got to the really hard place in high school where they didn't know a soul, they didn't have a friend, that they'd remember that God spoke to them. Listen, I, 
I remember thinking, I'm crazy. Every time I think about going to Austin, though, when I pray about it, here's what I remember saying this over and over, when I pray about it, I feel peace. I'm worried about how it's going to work financially. But when I pray, I feel peace. When I think about it, I would get excitement. Like, like there was something being birthed in me. And I'd have peace. This is the way you and I have to be when we're hearing God's voice. Don't expect everything to be cruise control in your life. Expect that you will have to cry out, just as Paul told us. Don't be anxious, but pray. Pray about everything and let God's peace fill your heart. Close your eyes.